sin we get ourselves into that we cannot get ourselves out of. Our Father in heaven is strong. And by the sufficiency of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is nothing that you are into that God cannot get you out of. Pray that God would remove from your life any sinfulness that would block your pursuit of godliness. Today on the Songtime Broadcast, we're continuing our series, A Proverb a Day in May, as we're listening to this message from H.B. Charles Jr., talking about how to pray in such a way that helps us to grow in conformity to Christ. A great message, don't miss it. But first, we're continuing on in our series as we're looking at Christian doctrine and understanding the foundations of our faith. We'll be joined once again by Nick Tucker as we're talking about the power of God and His omnipotence. The many voices are coming together for that one message. I'm your host, Adam Miller. You're listening to Songtime Radio. This week, we're carrying on in our, our series of, of an entire year looking at 12 different doctrines. Today, we're talking about the doctrine of the omnipotence of God, that He is all-powerful. There are many omniscient, uh, uh, omnipresent, uh, omni-sort of attributes of God that describe Him in such ways that He is above all things. And This is crucial because theology is really the foundation of everything in our faith. If we don't get our theology right, everything else is going to be off off skew just a little bit, and that's going to allow many different heresies to get into our lives and, and false impressions of who God is. That is why doctrine is important. As we talk about here, it is like the rails for the train. Uh, We need those rails to keep us on track so that we can continue to move forward. We're living in a world that wants to reject all of that. Uh, They want to have this free-form sort of theology where you can sort of add and choose all of the different elements that you like. And I got to tell you, that's simply not the case. Well, our guest today is Nick Tucker, and he's written a book called 12 Things God Can't Do and How They Can Help You Sleep at Night. And we're talking about these doctrines. And Nick, I think this is really, really important to understand that uh, we're living in a world where a lot of books that are being published are not teaching things that are actually true. We need theology because we need to make sure that what we believe in is grounded in the truth of God's Word. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. And I think so often our problems come about when we hit on one aspect of truth, mm-hmm. such as, for instance, God's all-powerfulness, and we say, well, if this, then, you know, the following things. And, I, I you know, I mean, one of the one of the old kind of uh, sort of atheist blind alleys that, that I sort of chase up early in the book is is that idea of, you know, can God make a stone that's too heavy for him to lift? <laughs> yeah. um, and, uh, you know, I think... It, it's amazing how, how many Christians, if you ask them that question, it, it sort of makes them stop and go, "Oh, oh no, <laughs> you know, God, God can't be all powerful. You know, this can't, this can't be true." Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I think, you know, actually, if you have a fuller picture of, of God as He reveals Himself, you realise that, you know, He is not. He's, he sometimes things He did, He does are are, are are ridiculous in that they're outrageously bold. You know, he says, "I'm going to, I'm going to take an unmarried virgin, and from her, I am going to bring salvation uh, through her child to to the whole world." You know, that that's kind of incredibly bold and not the way we would do things. But it's not, it's not ridiculous in the sense of being illogical. Mm-hmm. It's just too great to to imagine that it that it could happen. So, um, the the fact that God is perfectly always perfectly self consistent 
you know, that he doesn't change. He doesn't change his mind. He's he he doesn't have good days and bad days. All those sorts of things that we might project onto him. You know, if we're if we're starting from below and we're thinking what might God be like, we think, well, let's think of a person and what's that person like and how, you know, what's a really good kind of person and we'll think that God is like that or a great thing within the creation. And that obviously produces terrible, terrible errors. Mm -hmm. But I think the same thing is if we start with one aspect of God's transcendence and try and sort of build everything on on one thing that we know to be true, we end up with very similar problems that... You know, the old medieval debates about whether if, if uh, I don't think they put it in exactly these terms, but, you know, whether if God decided tomorrow that it was, that torturing kittens was a good thing, you know, would it be a good thing? Mm. Um, and that kind of thing, as if God is completely unconstrained by his own goodness. Mm-hmm. I think that's the crucial component here is that God in all of his attributes, his holiness and his love and his power and his knowledge and all of these things, they contribute together, but it puts God into a place where his own character and his own reputation, he is limited. And that's kind of the take that you're taking here, the, that God, it, because he is all-powerful, he has limitations. That's, that's hard, I think, for a lot of people to wrap their mind around, but that's what you're tackling with this book. Yeah, I think that's right. I, th- I think it's it's this idea that, um, I mean, limitations sounds like a kind of dangerous yeah. word, doesn't it? And um, and I think it's 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 limitations in the sense that he cannot not be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the idea. I suppose it's rooted in the idea of God's simplicity that you can't kind of cut him up into bits. There's not like a kind of bit over here which is mercy and a bit over here which is justice or or, or, or whatever it might be. Um, but rather that. Um, God is himself indivisibly and perfectly for eternity. You know, that, that in that he's limited in that sense and that he can't be other than he is. Mm-hmm. And that does mean that he's totally dependable. Um, rather than um, you know, if he had if he had radical freedom, you know, he might decide that torturing kittens was good tomorrow. We'd have to agree that agree that it's good because he's God. But thankfully, you know, the God who can only be good is better than the God who can be anything. Yeah, and that's sort of the the pantheon of like Greek gods or secular gods, mm-hmm. where their their moods change, or they yeah. can be bought, they can be purchased in some way. Our our God is far above that. He's not someone that was created in the imagination. He is the one who created yeah. us. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And in in a sense, he's too good for us to have made him up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and all of these attributes that we're talking about—God's holiness, God's love, His 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 sovereignty, His power, even His His knowledge—those are the ways in which He has uh, that He operates by His own principles. I think that's probably a better way of putting it, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. They're 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 they're, a, they're an expression of His of who He is. So that God is entirely unconstrained by anything other than Himself. Yeah, but yeah. He can never be anything other than Him. Mm-hmm. I like that point. He's completely unrestrained by anything other than himself. Uh, ex- expound on that, like, because that's that's really at the core of what you're talking about here. Yeah. So um, God isn't uh, bound by anything in the creation. He's he's entirely, you know, transcendent in, in that sense. So it's it's not as though there's a standard of goodness outside of God that he conforms to. Um, goodness is goodness because it is what he is like, uh, and so. Um, he is he is the measure of of all things uh, and um is perfectly consistent with with his own good character 
We've been talking with Nick Tucker. He's the author of a book called 12 Things God Can't Do and How They Can Help You Sleep at Night. It's a great resource and really hidden behind this amazing title, by the way, is is a powerful message to the omnipotence of God, a reminder that he really is as powerful as he says he is. And the only thing that is restraining God is his own nature, his own attributes, his own character. That is what is so important about this book and the richness and the winsomeness and how it teaches theology. It's a part of this whole series all year long. All 12 months, we're going to take one week out of our month to talk about doctrine, and uh, this one is a great series. We've been really challenging you this year uh, to get into theology, and we still have some copies of Paul David Tripp's book, Do You Believe? 12 Historic Doctrines to Change Your Everyday Life. These resources are designed to help you grow in that foundation of our Christian faith. So again, if you want to find out information about Nick Tucker, his book, or Paul David Tripp's book, please give us a call, 508-362-7070. That's 508-362-7070. Well, today we're continuing our series, A Proverb a Day in May. So where do we go from here? Today's the last day. What are we going to do? Well, we're going to break down this message all week long, so there's still a few days left. We can call the rest of this week May. Can you do that? I don't know. Maybe not. But maybe you're ready to move on to June, but we have a full week of this great message from H.B. Charles Jr. talking about the prayer of Agar and how we can pray Pray with a biblical wisdom and, and insight into what is truly what truly matters in this life. Are your are your prayers a reflection of your faith or are they a reflection of your kingdom here on earth? Here's a great message from H. B. Charles Jr. in our continuing series, A Proverb a Day in May. Two request here. On one hand, if I may summarize his words here, on one hand, Agar prays that God would remove from his life anything that would block his pursuit of godliness. Again, here in the text, he says two things. Verse 7, I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. And then in verse 8, he makes his first request, remove far from me falsehood and lying. This first petition reminds us that a commitment to truth is essential for the development of a godly life. Jesus says in John 8, verses 31 and 32, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Later in John 17, verse 17, Jesus prays for his disciples, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. I repeat, a godly life requires a commitment to the truth. And this is where Agar begins his prayer. He asks God to remove far from him falsehood and lying. It's a twofold concern. He first asks God to help him deal with falsehood, that which is empty. It's meaningless, worthless speech. It's the same word used in Exodus 20, verse 7, where we are commanded not to take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Here, when he speaks against falsehood, he is speaking of deceitful speech that says what one does not mean in order to take advantage of another person. He is concerned here about deceitful speech. Deceit is mentioned in 1 Peter 2 and 1, listed there as one of the things we must lay aside or strip off if we're going to develop an appetite, a healthy appetite for the Word of God and grow up 
to spiritual maturity. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, we are told that Jesus is qualified to be our Savior because He committed no sin and there was no deceit found in our mouth, in His mouth. As followers of Jesus, we too must pray against falsehood or deceit, but then He is also concerned about lying. Falsehood and lies are twins. They're just not identical twins. Uh, lies are uglier than falsehood. Uh, one can technically be speaking falsehood and still be telling the truth. It's just that one doesn't have any inward commitment to the words that are coming out of his mouth. He is a hypocrite, pretending to be something before others that he knows he is not before God. And yet in a backward way, the pretense of the hip hypocrite is somewhat of an acknowledgement of an objective standard of truth. He's just pretending that he has reached it when he is not. But a liar has no such commitment whatsoever. There is no commitment to truth in his heart, so there is no commitment to truth in his words. And no wonder Proverbs 12, verse 22, the A clause there says that lying lips are an abomination to God. And so, Agar rightly prays that God would remove far from him falsehood and lies. The petition is clear. The context is not. He may be praying about the issue of truthfulness within him. This may be a confession of sin. It may be a prayer against temptation to speak falsehood and lies. It may carry the spirit of the model prayer where Jesus teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation. Or it may be a concern about truthfulness around him. In the previous verses, verses 5 and 6, Agar says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. And then right after that in our text, he prays, Lord, remove from me falsehood and lies. That may be his concern about issues of truthfulness around him. More specifically, he may be concerned that he is surrounded by those who mishandle, misinterpret, misrepresent the Scriptures, twisting the Word of God to make it say what they want it to mean. He doesn't just want God to ultimately rebuke them. He may want God to immediately remove them far from his life. But either way you read this petition, the concern is the same. He had an issue with falsehood and lies in his life that he could not handle on his own. And here we find the wise prayer of a weak man who takes the matter to God in prayer and says, God, I can't handle these realities. Please remove far from me falsehood and lies. Falsehood and lying were termites that ate away at the foundation and structure of truth in Agar's life. He could not even determine the extent of the infestation, much less handle it on his own. And so Agar, if you will, called a sovereign exterminator, praying to God, asking the Lord to remove far from him falsehood and lies. And I like the language that he uses. Don't just remove it, but remove it far away from me. When you remove it, don't allow it to stay too close because I may go get it or it may come back and get me. And so, Lord, when you remove it, remove it far away from me, falsehood and lies. He prays first that God would remove from him anything that would block his pursuit of godliness. 
As a boy growing up in Los Angeles in our childhood home, I had a treehouse in the backyard. And one day my friend Sean and I were playing in the backyard together, going up the steps to the treehouse. I got my foot stuck there in the steps. I tried to pull myself out and I could not. Sean climbed up behind me and tried to assist. He could not. Finally, I screamed out in tears, go in the house and get my father. He did. And my father came out and I remember my father climbing up to me and he didn't try to pull me out. He began to break the steps and took me in his arm and carefully brought me back down. And when he checked on me to see if I was okay, he went back in the house and Sean and I resumed our playing. But when there was a pause in the action, I looked up and Sean was just staring at me. And I asked what the matter was and Sean just simply said, man, your daddy is strong. <laughs> Uh, and, and that's really what I'm trying to say to you in this first petition. That there are things that in sin we get ourselves into that we cannot get ourselves out of. Loved ones and friends cannot get us out of. But I have good news today. Our Father in heaven is strong. And by the sufficiency of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is nothing that you are into that God cannot get you out of. Pray that God would remove from your life any attitude, any way of perspective on life, any sinfulness that would block your pursuit of godliness. Today's proverb of the day in May is Proverbs 31. Now, you see how beautiful this all comes together. There's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. There's 31 days in May. It really is a great opportunity to delve into this wisdom literature and hopefully a challenge for you. You can do this all year long. Continue in the book of Proverbs, and you might not be able to double up every every month. There's 30 days, uh, 28 days, or 29 days, but you'll always be in the book of Proverbs as a resource for your heart and your soul. And obviously, Proverbs 31 is a great capstone, isn't it? As mother writing to a son to choose a wife wisely, to, to hold his, his character Uh, wisely. And this is really about what we've been talking about all month long. Our theme verse has been Proverbs 22, 6, to train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So I would say today's proverb of the day in May is Proverbs 31, 28, and 29. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her, Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Ultimately, that is the joy of training up a child. When they are old, they don't depart from their faith. In fact, that faith is is built into their lives in such a way that they rise up and give thanks for their mother, for the faithfulness that she has been in pouring into their lives. Proverbs 31 is really a beautiful picture of what it means to train up a child. And the reward that we get, it's not silver and gold. It's it's not riches. It's not a mansion. You know, it's not like a, a football player who goes and buys a mansion for his mama as the first thing after he wins the Super Bowl. No, no, no. Uh, the real r- reward, the real joy of every godly mother is to see that her children are walking in the way that they should go. I hope that we've been able to encourage you today. If we have, we would love to hear from you. 
What is your perception of all of these Proverbs? As we bring this whole series to a close, what, what Proverbs has really stood out to you? And, and which of those Proverbs are you still meditating on even now? I hope that we've been able to encourage you, and I hope that we'll hear from you. Let us know by writing to us at Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or give us a call, 508 362 7070. It's 508 362 7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com or look us up on social media. Uh, Don't forget to tune in again tomorrow. We'll continue our study with H.B. Charles Jr. as we're looking at these Proverbs a day in May and what they ultimately teach us about our prayer life and what we ought to be concerned about when we pray with wisdom. God has everything under control. I learned that first as a little boy from Sister Geraldine DeCorn, who was over the children's choir in the church I grew up in, and she taught us to sing, He's Got the Whole World in His Hands. On behalf of everyone here at Songtime and our late founder, Dr. John DeBrine, who has always encouraged you to grow in grace so that you won't groan in disgrace, we want to thank you for listening. From Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller with our theme verse, Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it.